We're back for part two of our conversation with Jerry Pauls. If you missed episode nine, it sets up some of the background for what is more specific in our conversation today. We are picking up the conversation around the opening lines of scripture and how the way they are written challenges us to dig deeper into the message that the author of Genesis was inspired to write. Let's jump back in. I love what uh, you said earlier, just about like the best way to read the Bible is to read it with those who think differently than you. And I think that's probably one of like the hardest things to do. Um, but I think in my experience, the most worthwhile, because it's, it's then that I think I um, both learn to have the most grace, but then also to broaden my own understanding of God and that realization that Again, God is so much bigger and better and wider and uh, greater than I kind of ever thought. Um, so just kind of pressing into that idea, I'd love to get into this this Genesis 1, 2, this creation story. What are some different ways that people could read uh, the Genesis creation story? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. And, and, and you know, I, I love just following up on your comment, I love conversations with people that see things differently. Um, I, I don't like them when they're arguments and they're aggressive and, and you feel like someone, you're being judged if I don't, I, I, and, I, and there's far too much of that that happens in theology. And, and it's not our best Christian look. Um, but, but if we're humble and we're genuinely sitting together to understand one another and to pursue truth together and to pursue Jesus together, uh, th then I think those are rich and, and great. And so, you know, unfortunately, you know, the very first text in our Bible becomes a litmus test for people about whether you're in or out or whether you're orthodox or not, whether we will, you know, trust your reading of scripture or not, or trust anything you say or not. Um, and, you know, we don't get very far in the Bible with that, right? So many people in, you know, the kind of church traditions that I've been part of and um, embrace that. The earth is then, you know, 6,000, maybe, maybe 10,000 years old at most. And, uh, and, and that puts us in some serious conflict with what the overwhelming consensus of modern science is saying, right? And, and so that, that would be one, which I think we're all familiar with. Um, so that would be a, what, what we might label a strict kind of concordance view, that, that the Bible and science are going to be in strict accordance, right? They're, they're going to be in agreement. And if science isn't saying what the Bible's saying, then we need to redo science. And so this kind of literal reading of Genesis comes with a whole alternative scientific model, right? So, you know, you get this on a Ken Ham Answers in Genesis website, would, would give you a whole alternative scientific model. Um, then you'll, you'll get those that have a more broad concordance, those who are a little less willing to pick a fight with the, the overwhelming consensus of modern science, those that, are, that, that just can't you know, ignore a lot of the data and arguments they're putting forth, that are, but are also committed to a, a fairly literal reading of Genesis. Um, you will get kind of old earth. So if the first is a young earth, uh, creationist, we, we would label, that's the label for it. It's a young earth because it's six to 10,000 years old. And an old earth model would, would view the earth as old, 
but it's still a very direct God has a still a very direct hand in creating everything as Genesis says. So, you know, with one small modification for the most part, referring to each day in, in the six days of creation as an age. So, you know, day the word day in, in uh, Hebrew and in English has some flexibility. You know, if I say back in the day, you know, I'm talking about an era, you know, back in the day when, you know, we rode little banana boards, skateboards. That's an era. It's not a specific day that I rode that skateboard. It's it's a an era. Now they read the, ride these big long boards. Did you ride a banana board out of curiosity? Very little. Yeah, I, yeah, I there's, fell. There's still time. I did ride it. I had one. I had a couple <laughs> with a little tiny lip on the back. I think that's probably one of the more important questions of the day. So there, there we go. Yeah, you're a skateboard rider, right? <laughs> not really. You sure? Because you a little bit. You, you kind of have the appearance. Yeah. I I would. If I was guessing and judging from appearance, like all I think the scars that I have, you're a, yeah. you're a border. Yeah. I'm not. Um, so back in the day, as as an 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 age or a period of time, and so if the Earth is created in six periods of time or ages, well, an age can be a thousand years. You know, the Lord's not slow in keeping His promises. But, you know, for the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, so it could be a thousand years, or it could be a million years. What do you need, right? And so all of a sudden we can get the earth isn't six days, created in six days. It was created in six ages or six million years, um, six billion. What do you need? So now I can line it up with an old earth and geological data that's arguing the earth is very old. Um, so that would be, um, a, you know, a day-age theory or an old earth theory. And then, you know, what we have, um, an, another view, I'll just give you one more option. There's others, but, you know, the one more dominant view today would be a, a kind of literary framework, which would be where John Walton's would land, even though he doesn't like that label. Um, but, but it would be looking at Genesis, uh, looking at it as, as ancient literature that is intending not to teach science, per se, or history, per se, but it's there to teach theology. It wants to teach us truth about who we are, about who God is, about, you know, who and what the world is. Um, and so it's it's reading it as ancient literature. Both of the first ones want to read it as historical and scientific. Um, this one would want to read it as ancient literature. So, I mean, in, in me characterizing it that way, you can you know, with all I've said, you can probably identify where I'd be most comfortable. But, but, but those are kind of three different different ways of of uh, reading the text. And uh, you know, for many, um, for many people, these are hills to die on, almost, very close. And you know, you talk about what's orthodoxy. I don't think your reading of Genesis one is going to determine whether you're in or out of the kingdom, right? What determines if you're in or out of the kingdom is whether you, you know, submit your life to, to King Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus. Well, that gives us some freedom to have some fun conversation and, and talk about things that uh, really are so beyond our purview that no one should do it with complete confidence mm -hmm. from my perspective. Um, I, a question I'd love your perspective on is why is there a Genesis 2? Like, is it like, we'll try it once and, you know, I missed some details, so let me throw another account at you or, 
uh, were there two authors or was it like the, the person uh, forgot what they said and so doubled down and didn't get it quite the same? I'm being a bit facetious, but yeah. hopefully you have a better answer than those. I, I you know, I, I think I don't, I don't look at it as I, I don't think we have a Genesis one and a Genesis two. I, I think that's the, the unfortunate way that we set that up. And, and I do it sometimes, too, out of convenience. Uh, because in some ways, you know, they both are kind of creation stories. But I think we have a Genesis 1, um, and, we, and we have a Genesis 2 and 3. Genesis 2 and 3 are one story. You know, the, the chapter divisions came much later. It's, it's, it's one story. Genesis 2 is a setup for Genesis 3. Um, so I think we have a creation story that's good. You know, God creates the world, and it's good. And then we have this, I, I, again, I don't, I don't love the language of fall story, but at least, um, I don't know, Methodists use, they like that language of fall. Well, we don't like what it means, but right. we... But you use that language? Sorry. Yeah, but not everybody maybe would be familiar. Okay, so, so we have, we have a, a creation story, and it's repeated in there that God saw that it was good, it was good, it was good. You know, seven times it stated it was good, and seven day bring, comes to rest. And then we have a story that is really... Um, it's about the undoing. It's about the loss of that goodness, and and that the undoing of this shalom, the peace, the goodness of creation, comes as a result of the actions of the human beings who have been put here and entrusted to oversee it and to rule it, as Genesis one says, right? That we're creating the image, and you should subdue and and rule over, you know, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the animals. And so I think we have one story that wants to say something about creation and it's, you know, you know what God has done and bringing order to it and goodness to it and life to it, breathing life into it. And then Genesis 2 and 3, which really be, is, is right through 4 through to 11, are about the undoing of the goodness of creation. And it happens, you know, because of, the human beings that have been entrusted um, by God because he's loved us and trusted us. And, and so, I, so I think we need to read them that way. And, and, and it focuses in on the human beings because we've created the problem along with the serpent who's in that story. I'm Greg Elford here with Jessica Steffick, and today the Re podcast is talking together with Jerry Pauls, a professor of theology and Old Testament at Columbia Bible College. Today we're talking about the opening lines of Scripture and how a rereading of our creation story might open up for some more nuance and deeper appreciation. So to aid us in our exploration of the creation story in Genesis this month, we're referencing John Walton's book, The Lost World of Genesis 1. So Jerry, can you tell us a bit about what John or Dr. Walton talks about or means when he discusses material versus functional kind of organization for creation? Yeah, yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy to. I think, I think John Walton raises a really important point um i've you know i i, I would want to personally I, I want to nuance some of john walton's pieces but i i'm super thankful that he's laid this conversation on the table because it's really important so um 
you know, what, what, does, what does the word create mean? Um, you know, just, just from a simple question for us as modern people, as English-speaking people, um, what, is it, what does it mean to create something? Um, you know, can I, can I ask you guys a question? Is that permitted here? Yeah, it's um, never been what does done. It mean to, what does it mean to create something? I think that it depends, you know, on how you're using it in context. Yeah. So sometimes it might mean something abstract that's happening um, in the cerebral level. Sometimes it is something that's that comes out materially, but both are creative acts. So something that come that begins as nothing, and then has uh, some sort of organization to it, whether you can see it or not. Okay. Have, have, I, sorry, oh, Jess. I was just I was gonna take it somewhere a little bit differently. When you say, like, what does it mean for you to create? I was I originally thought about like arts and crafts. Like I'm a big crafting person, so for me to create is to like take materials that I have or that right. I bought or that I foraged or right. something and then make something new out of that either for purpose or for decoration or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that I, I would argue that that's kind of the normative piece. So, you know, I was going to ask you, Greg, you know, can you give me an example where you've ever created something from nothing? Like a story. You know, I tell my kids stories they make up out of nothing, you know. And I mean, yeah, they're concepts that have existed. But what they're really doing in that, though, is taking words and ideas, and they're organizing those words into sentences and ideas and creating a story. Um, so I, I would say, you know, think of any creative act, um, and it's almost always. So, you know, someone... Um, you know, if someone asks you, you know, sees my house, says, where did your house come from? You know, I'm going to talk about the builder and the drywaller and, and you know, they, they I, I wouldn't assume they're going to ask, well, this wood came from a tree in the forest. Where'd the tree come from? A seed. They're not asking about origins in that sense of where does material, where, where does material stuff come from? Rarely are we ever asking that, right? You know, if an artist creates something, you know, we're not, you know, if we ask about the, the creation of this painting, um, we're not asking about who created the paint and who created the canvas. We're, we're asking about the person that came and took the canvas and the colors and the paint and created something or, you know, the builders that took the wood and the glass and the whatever else is in my house and created a house. That, that would be our normal or the arts and crafts or taking words or even coming up with a creative thought, you know, there's still, you're taking thoughts and you're organizing them into a new creative piece, um, which is, I, I would argue, the, the normal meaning of create in our, in our regular usage. I don't think we're rare, I don't think we, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I can't think of many moments where we'd actually be talking about creation from nothing. Now, we assume when it's God, of course, God creates from nothing, um, but but does He? You know, humans are created from the dirt in Genesis two, and you know, I know uh, uh, my daughter, my granddaughter Amelia, was just created because of you know a, a, a gestation period and and in the womb, and you know we know how that kind of works. There's a process to that, and and Amelia grew in the womb from 
uh, you know, being fertilized and, and embryology and all that goes into that, we, we know that. We'd still talk about Amelia as an act of creation, even though there's, a, there's, there's something more going on. So, so, you know, what does it mean in Genesis 1? Um, is, is this God, is, the, is the, the weight of Genesis 1 on God creating stuff from nothing? Or is it on God taking something and bringing order to it, and in bringing order to it, giving it life and creating something new, right? You know, so, so the, the Hebrew word bara, um, which, which means to form or to create, um, you know, it, it, it has to, the idea of fashion by cutting, to shape something, the idea of pairing a reed for writing, um, you know, none of those are necessarily taking, creating something from nothing, but it's taking something and forming it and ordering it. And yes, it has the idea of bringing something new into existence, but, but that's exactly what you're doing, right? If I take a pile of lumber and I create a table out of it, I've brought something new into existence. The table was never there before. Um, so what, what do we mean when we get to Genesis 1? And, and, and the interesting piece there is, um, where in Genesis 1 does it ever say there was nothing? So completely about, you know, wherever you land, I'm, that, that's fine. But where does it actually ever want to talk about nothing? Um, it, it doesn't. It never actually says there was nothing and then God created. So we just assume there was nothing because we've, we've kind of loaded this story and as modern people, we want to know where the universe came from. We ask material questions. But, but the question is, did ancient people ask those kinds of questions? Were they sitting wondering, where does rock come from? Or, you know, where, what's the material origins? And from everything we're reading in other ancient and Eastern texts, no ancient people are asking that question. Um, the, you know, the... The whole Genesis 1 text, it, be, you know, it, it says, you know, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness is over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And God says, let there be light. And he sets to work taking the formless and empty, dark water, and he forms it. And the whole chapter is, is focused on the work of God taking formless and empty dark sea and transforming it into a living space, a sacred space. Or, um, so the whole text is intensely focused on God's work of ordering as opposed to the idea of you know, snapping his fingers and, and pulling a rabbit out of a hat that, where there's nothing. So, you know, that's, again, you know, when I say that... Um, the question is, what is Genesis 1 about? You know, there's, there's many other texts in the Bible that assert that all things find their origin in God. So whether Genesis 1 wants to say that or not, is, it, it doesn't mean, even if Genesis 1 doesn't say God created from nothing, it doesn't mean that God didn't create from nothing, because we have other texts that, that are going to assert that, many of them. Jerry, can you give us a bit of an example of some of the texts that maybe still do point to God as creator of material things? Yeah, sure. You know, there's quite a few texts. Um, 
you know, Revelation 4.11 is, is one that, that I often go to and says, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Um, you know, just I'll give one more Colossians, I think is an important one. Colossians 1, 16, 17 says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And and I, I think this idea that, you know, you know, Isaiah in different texts juxtaposes the the eternality of God with with you know the temporality of creation that God is before creation. So philosophically and by implication that creation has a beginning, there's an origin piece to it. And God is distinct from creation, which is, which is one of the unique pieces of the Bible in these ancient Near Eastern creation stories where, you know, creation is, um, really comes out of divine warfare and, you know, out of divine material, the body of of, of God's become the heaven and earth, whereas creation is separate from God, and God is eternal and creation is not in that sense, so therefore it has its origin. There's that, that conviction is deep and strong and secure in our Christian faith, um, quite apart from however we read Genesis 1. But Genesis 1 wants to focus on this forming piece, and um, so, so I think that's a piece, you know, you know, everything, so God, God takes this formless, empty, dark sea, and he says, let there be light, and it was so, right, and God saw that the light was good, you know, what, what's good about the light, right, why is the light good, um, right, I mean, it says, uh, and he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day and the darkness, he called night, and it was evening, there was morning, one day, um, and you know the light is good because it separates the darkness, right? Darkness is always a, you know a, a symbol of evil. You know Nicodemus comes in the dark, right? You know, and not that Nicodemus is a symbol of evil, but there's there's darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. In him, there's no darkness at all. Um, the light separates the darkness. It has it names it calls it, you know, it's light. He gives it a purpose, a function, and he says, that's good. You know, day two, he says, let there be an expanse that will separate the waters above and the waters below, and that expanse will be called sky. And it doesn't say that was good, but it, it implies that it's good. Why is the sky good? Because it separates the waters above and the waters below. And so what's important about the sky is not that God created it from nothing, but that it has a purpose and a function. Um, and then land on day three, and the land is to gather the waters below into one place, and, and it holds back the waters. Of, you know, Job 38.10 says, God said to the waters, this far you may come, but no further. So, you know, God's taking what is formless and giving it form, and everything is, is named Right, the night. You know, if you pay attention to it, he's he's naming things throughout here, and everything is giving a, a function and purpose right through to humans, who are created and then given this purpose of 
ruling over creation. Um, and so everything is given a purpose and a name, and when it has uh, that name and purpose, um, it, it, it's, this is what God's creation is. It's ordering things. And when everything, you know, this, this Hebrew idea of shalom, which means peace, and it's, it's this idea that when the w world is ordered and everything knows its place and knows its role or purpose and function and fulfills it, it's like a well-ordered, oiled machine, and it's shalom. It brings peace, rest, say, day seven, right? It's, you know, a family. When all, when all your kids, everybody in the family knows their role, you know their name, they know their role. I'm a father, I'm a mother, I'm a son or daughter, granddaughter, and everybody knows their place and knows their role and their function in that family, and they fulfill it, it's, it's a shalom-filled family, right? As soon as people don't fulfill their function, if I, if I fail to be a father, all of a sudden it's no longer good anymore. So, so, so it's driving at this, and God takes what is chaotic and dark and the sea, and the sea is a symbol of death in, in the Bible, um, and he brings order to it, he brings life to it, and he creates, you know, he organizes the world into this livable space. And, and so it's the, the functional piece that's the key. Um, everything's about ordering. The Old Testament is really invested in laws because the laws bring order, law and order, right? And laws bring order to the world, and that brings peace and shalom. So I, sorry, I I, I got to cut myself off because I can go on too long here. But but I but I think you know this is this is I'll just add this piece because I think it it's what makes it also deeply important. Um, the idea that God is a creator is is deeply important to us as our theologically and in, in our faith and in the Bible. This idea that God is a creator. Um, what is what is so important about this idea of God as a creator? And I sometimes ask students, you know, is is the idea of, when I say God as a creator, does that is that backwards looking? Are we now talking about origins and where we came from, or is the idea of God as a creator important in the present? Is God still creating? Is creation an ongoing work, or is it a yet future peace and? You know, this idea, our Bible, the climax of our Bible is new creation, right? Revelation 21, where, behold, I saw a new heavens and a new earth. And, and this, you know, this vision where the earth has been renewed and reordered and reclaimed, we have confidence and faith in that because God is a creator. And the earth has once more come under the disorder and chaos of darkness and sin. And the idea that God is a creator is our hope that he will continue and one day bring the world back around to a good order that leads that brings life rather than death. Um, one more text there. Second Corinthians 5:17, you know, um, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, there's new creation. So I'm I'm in Christ. And Paul says, I am new creation. Um, I am a creation of God. Um, that doesn't mean that I am 
you know, the new creation, that, that God created something out of nothing in me. Um, it's David saying, create Barak, create in me a clean heart. He's not asking God to rip out his old heart and create a brand new one from nothing. He's asking God to cleanse, reorder his heart around God, um, you know, a man after God's own heart, and, and bring it around to life. And that's what, you know, Jesus is doing in me, that he's reorganizing my life around Jesus, around God, such that my life breathes life rather than death. So, so creative, you know, God as a creator is, is, is a redemptive theme. It's about God bringing life to places of death. So what you're saying is maybe that... Um though we might be kind of rereading this creation story in Genesis 1, um, we don't need to be fearful or, or anxious because, um, like, God is still creator, but now we're just learning new things um, in a story that we didn't even know was talking about those kind of things, which is actually kind of exciting and, and somewhat, like, expanding my horizons of how I've seen and understood God before. Yeah, I, that's that's really well put, Jess. I, I think, um, you know, as I've I've said, rereading and and giving people and and for people to give themselves the space to read these texts um, differently than they've read them before, without the anxiety of it's all going to come crumbling down. It it doesn't. It it doesn't. It, it certainly doesn't have to because I know there's people on all this, you know, across the spectrum who love Jesus and have strong, vibrant faith and love scripture, and they land in different places on, on in, in interpreting this text and all other texts. So, um, and, I, and I think you, know, if you give people the space. Um, what, what I like to do and, and um, what I try to do in, with, with students. I, I've got a saying, and I'm, I'm, I, I won't get it quite right, but I got a saying posted in my office um, that says you don't, you don't change the world by criticizing present models. You change the world by offering them a better model. And, and you know, to, to come at this and to criticize and poke holes in the way you read Genesis, people, you know, that just creates and reinforces the defensiveness and the wall. But... Helping people to see, oh, there's new things in here that I never saw before, right? Like, like for me, being able to see how, oh, creation is such a big theme in Scripture. It's about my life in Christ and God's creating this new creation in me. It's about the future and my future hope of God restoring and bringing life to this creation. Um, all of a sudden, that to me is really exciting and I miss that with some of the other things. And, and my fear is sometimes we, we spend so much time arguing about the age of the earth and dinosaurs and where do they fit in that we never get to the, the rich. I think Genesis 1 is one of the greatest texts in our Bible that's deep and rich in, in theological statements about who we are and who God is and, who, and, and, and the world and how God brings life to the world by his word. Um, that, that we miss that because we're too busy engaging scientific arguments 
and and if if we can just you know I think let those arguments aside for a while, just say let's just read the text and see what great things come out. And and I just get super excited. I'm biting my tongue right now, but I you know we got a text here that says you know God by the power of His Word you know transforms our world and brings life um, where there was death. Right there's darkness and chaos, and I like, that's my story. If you ask me for my testimony, in a nutshell, you know, that, that Jesus, the light of the world, you know, the word of God, the scriptures, the word of God, and Jesus, the living word of God, have transformed my life and are bringing light to places of death. And, you know, so the creation story is, you know, this, it's, it's my story, it's the story of the whole Bible. So I wanted to just kind of take that question and make it very practical. Um, being someone that often is um, present for folks that are wrestling through a new way, um, where there's all kinds of feelings that come up that feel like you're denying kind of a faith that you've been brought up in, and so there's a, maybe a connection to that. And there's the insecurity and the fears we've talked about. But I'm just curious, as a community, as we, and not just this issue, but as we talk about things, how would you coach people to look into God's Word as in community? You know, like, I, I love the idea of reading Scripture in community. And that's sort of what we're trying to do with this four-week progression through a topic and listening to one another. How would you, what sort of pro tips would you give us for when when folks um, get kind of triggered um, by different texts that represent more than we might be aware of when we're wading in yeah yeah that that's that's not just a good question that's maybe the question because it's a pastoral question um, we're not just arguing about texts and ancient texts we're we're talking about people's faith and faith that has often been built around certain readings of, of Scripture. Um, and so, you know, I, I, we need to be, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> you'll want to edit that maybe, please. Um, people's faith has been built around not just, you know, the Bible, but readings of the Bible, and we need to be, um, very sensitive to that, and I and I think you know we need to create the space. You know, not telling people you have to change this or or you're wrong or your views not informed or that's condescending. It's not uh, it's not respectful because there's very there's very well informed people that uh, you know I'm I there's there's people who are informed and smarter than me that disagree with me. And, and, and that's good. And, you know, so we need to create the space that people aren't felt looked down upon. And, and I wrestle with that because sometimes that happens in a classroom where one group will be looking down on another group because, you know, how do you believe that or how do you believe that? And it's like, ah, oh, we've got to create a space and, and, a, and a church context where people can be honest about the questions that most of us are having and, and not allow, you know, one answer to be forced, you know, and, and, you know, we need to decide when we're 
treading on important lines. But even there, we need to allow people the space to ask them. So I, I think, you know, it, it means creating a, a trustful place where people can be honest and people can have honest conversations and ask honest com ask questions. Um, and, and so creating that trusting context. Um, I, I, don't, I don't typically tell my first year class where I land on these pieces. As I know some are going to tune me out and others will tune me in, regardless of where I land. Some will tune me out because of that. I just love the way that you're using the word creating space in light of uh, inviting light into something that could be t uh, potentially dark, you know, where it creates division. Creating, in, if we're doing it in the way of Yahweh, mm -hmm. is to shed light into something that could be tenuous. Right. And so I appreciate that as, as a maybe even a, the terminology with which we can approach it. Yeah, yeah, creating that, that space. I, and I'll give one more piece that, that, that I think is really important is that the conversations always need to be about the Bible, the scriptures. Um, I, I, I don't want it ever to be about Jerry's theology and so I, I, you know, I'm I'm very intentional, and I get to you know teach the classes and plan the how the class is going to go as much as I can control that. Um, so I, I I think it's I I will always use texts, texts that I know will challenge different people, and that's not to pick on certain people. That's to challenge all people because because some people we get pretty set and convinced, and I like it when students throw out a text to me, and I'm like, oh yeah, I have to think. I have to I have to think that through, uh, right? Because I, I I have my text that I go to, and so I've got text that I throw out that will, you know, challenge people to think about this. So you know, Second Peter three five is a good one that says, "Long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, out of water and by water." I'm like, what does that mean? Um, and, and just an honest question: What does that mean? Um, it it, it doesn't say they came out of nothing it says they came from water um and and, and so I, again i'm not sometimes i'll do that with a bit of an agenda i'm leading you down a path because i get to select the text but i but i but i don't do that with any lack of integrity because i think actually the texts that we ignore and we put out of mind and out of sight are the texts we actually need to be reminded of because those are the ones that force us to reread stuff and 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 it keeps you know, don't don't get upset at me because I just I just want to read this text with you. Let's just sit and read Peter now, or, or you know, there's many texts that talk about creation. Read Psalm 74, or you know, other texts that talk about creation, and say, well, what is how does this fit into your your picture? So creating the space and always keeping the conversation on what does the Bible say, and uh, allowing other texts to force us to reread texts. That's really helpful. Yeah. Well, I, for one, want to say thank you so much, uh, Jerry, for not just taking time, but we can tell you've put some thought even into some of the questions you knew we'd be asking you. And it sounds like it's stuff that you are often talking about with students. And so thank you for letting us be the students. And th those listening, I'm sure, are appreciative, too, of the way that when someone spends a lifetime studying in a particular area, the nuance they can bring to a topic is just so rich. And so we're really appreciative of your time and hope you'll oh. come and visit us uh, Methodists sometime. 
I, uh, I would you're love always welcome to. i've had so many of my students that have found life in in your church that i uh i think i think very good thoughts about your church i haven't been there but one day Thank you for listening, and thanks again to Jerry Pauls for his time and knowledge. Thank you to our silent sponsor and our very supportive church community, and of course, young Obi Elford for putting together the music that backs our voices. Join us again in two weeks when the Repodcast takes on a new topic creation care. This has been episode 10 of the Repodcast, the prefix that hopes for more than we had before. <laughs>